Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Um, we're, we're back again after a, a bit of a hiatus there that was sort of semi-unintentional. So we got to apologize for going radio silence there for a minute. Um, we, we got the European vacation fever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except I was working the whole time, pretty much. That's true. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Alexi's in Greece and, and I've just been uh, in Finland. I was in Finland for uh, about two weeks or just shy of two weeks. I'm reporting an article on um, S Group, their their cooperative retail company. Uh, sort of like the art, the article I wrote on the Faroes last year, the Faroe Islands and their tax system. Um, but yeah, then I was in Greece for a bit, getting rained on um, with with Alexi. <laughs> we, we Ryan and I were we were braving the uh, Medicaid, right, like the the Mediterranean hurricane together on a boat. Actually, yeah, we we got a, a piece of that thing that hit Libya and caused the terrible flooding. Apparently. Um, and that's in northern Greece and flooded northern Greece to that you know, too. A one in 300 year climate event, right? Yeah, supposedly. It's more like a one in like three years now. Uh, but uh, yeah, we just, you know, sort of ran out of time there and it was just too much scrambling to uh, sit down and record. But now we're back in the saddle. Um, and yeah, maybe we'll do a, a catch up episode or two um, over the next w- right. week or so. We hope while we were away, you all had the opportunity to uh, relax in some capacity as well. Um, but uh, don't worry, there will be pr- plenty of hashtag content coming. <laughs> That's <soon>. right. <laughs> Starting with where in the world has Ryan Cooper been, which you just answered. But uh, this is, you know, remember the where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Uh, some of you are too young for that reference. Yeah, but used- we could do that with you because you are, you are a world traveler now uh, doing the global international uh, journalism about uh, places that do things better than we do. Yeah. Um, I did used to watch that show actually, uh, when I was a kid did you? 75 <laughs> years ago. Uh, yeah. Before we get to that, Is though, it like a game as well. They like made a video game or something too, right? Oh, yeah. It was a whole, something? you know, oh, yeah, a whole content platform, IP. I'm surprised they haven't done Carmen San Diego expanded universe yet. You know, we could have. <laughs> uh, Carmen San Diego TV parallel show. universes, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, crossover with like Venom or Batman, maybe Tony Stark. Tony Stark tracks down missed opportunities. Yeah, um, that could be pretty good. Iron Man, you could, you could get. Uh, well, where's Waldo? Could be involved, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Marvel, Star Wars, uh, Mattel, Cinematic Toy Universe, and which which which. Which universe is Waldo in? You have to find the universe. <laughs> it's like exactly okay, but we digress. Yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, before we before we start talk about Finland a little bit, um, we got to uh, remind everyone as usual. You know, the Left Anchor is sponsored by the American Prospect Magazine, um, and uh, bonus episodes uh, that we um, put out typically uh, uh, every other week. Five. <laughs> Five bucks a month, uh, 10 bucks a month will get you a, a digital subscription to the magazine plus a discounted print subscription. Um, I, I got to catch up on a couple. Plus of all the episodes as well. Yeah, yeah. Plus bonus episodes. Um, and um, yeah, otherwise, you know, we, we appreciate any type of support, rate, review, uh, send to your friends. 
And um, the iTunes reviews, especially, they, they warm the cockles of our heart. I, I also hope they attract more listeners, but they at least make us feel really happy inside. And, uh, you know, as lefties, that's important to us. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I can give you a little a, a little bit of background on this Finland thing. I don't want to scoop myself as 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 usual. You know, uh, this article will be coming out. In a- When's it coming out? You've got that the prospect uh, is publishing your piece, uh, as is Matt Brunig, right? Yeah, and that'll be in a uh, a few weeks. So we go to we go to press a week from uh, next Friday. So it'll, and after that, you know, once the issues go out, then, um, we'll publish the articles online, you know, drip them out one by one as well. Um, all right. So no scooping yourself, but now you're going to tell us everything that you couldn't put in the article. So that's even better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just a little bit of background on, you know, S group, um, which is quite a peculiar institution, um, it's, it's Finland's enormous, uh, cooperative retailer. It has a bunch of like the, the main thing it does is grocery stores. Um, it's got a, a hypermarket, the Prisma. It's got a sort of mid-sized grocery store, S market, a small grocery store, a Sala. Hyper, hyper. What is that term? Hang on. What does hypermarket mean? That's a European, you should know that. That's European lingo for like a Walmart, you know, like a, giant okay you know with with clothing and electronics it's like an uber yeah uber store <laughs> the uber yeah the, <laughs> the uber store it's the uber mensch of- <laughs> um, it breaks through it transcends all norms yeah okay i actually toured yeah. one of these things it was enormous um you know it's it's your classic like warehouse you know like airplane hangar sized uh store with, like a Costco? Yeah, like Costco. Yeah. And, you know, and everything from from a giant party speaker to uh, like 700 different types of deli meat or th- 7,000 different types of yogurt. Apparently, uh, uh, dairy is a big business in Finland. Um, yo- and, and fake, uh, I guess a lot of Finns are lactose intolerant. So there's all sorts of milk substitute type of, you know, they, apparently, according to the European Union, you can't call it milk if it doesn't have milk in it. Um, you can't call it oat milk. <laughs> Go figure. It has to be oat drink or whatever <laughs> the fuck. Um, but yeah, just just uh, sh- shelf after shelf of this stuff. I, I could, the, the selection is unbelievable. And yeah, they control almost half the grocery market in Finland. Um that's that would uh relative to the size of the economy that's twice as big as walmart which is the biggest grocery store in the u.s by a huge margin um it's uh got you know 13.5 billion uh euros in revenue last year Forty-one thousand employees so it's a big company and that's comparable to like Trader Joe's roughly, something like that? Yeah, in absolute size, it's about the same. It's about the size of Trader Joe's. So, you know, it's not a like global multinational uh, company exactly. But, you know, Trader Joe's is- a, But for Finland. Yeah. yeah tra- legit. <laughs> relative, you know, Finland's population is only like 5.6 million people. So, you know, that's a, that's a very size, one of the biggest companies in Finland. Um, and, you know, that was, that was- uh, 
part of the context that I learned there is that, that, that Finland is kind of the cooperative country. There's cooperatives uh, in, in timber. The biggest timber company is a cooperative. The biggest bank, OP Bank, is, is a cooperative. And um, they've got there's more cooperative members than there are residents of Finland. So people have like multiple memberships <laughs> and things. Okay. So maybe we should explain what, what a cooperative is and the different types, because some people might think that just means people are, are really, uh, you know, friendly with each other and they, they really coordinate well and they, they're uh, collaborative, but it has to do with uh, ownership of, of the firm, of the entity, right? Yeah. So there are basically two types of cooperatives. You know, you have your producer cooperative, um, which there's actually a fair number of these in the United States, like a, a blue alm, blue diamond almonds is a cooperative. They have like 3000 grower owners in their cooperative. And that's, it's like a sort of joint, um, you know, purchasing and sales operation for a whole bunch of different uh, people at the same time. So rather than, you know, you, the individual almond farmer, um, having to go out into the market by yourself and sell your products to whoever, to Walmart probably, uh, you have like a big sort of representative institution and it gives you, you know, more market leverage and like a lot of ancillary services that, that uh, you know, help, you know, it's, it's just a, makes your, your business uh, operations easier and more, more profitable, I guess I would say. And that's that's interesting because that that definition of producer cooperative is slightly different from a worker cooperative because the workers in in each individual uh, producer farm for almonds or whatever uh, do not own right is that how, because they they are run as a, as a kind of normal company but then that company is itself a cooperative owner in the aggregate kind of company that that uh, creates. The, the almonds or sells the almonds for blue or, or right which is different which is different from like a collective where all of the workers involved from you know alpha to omega are 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 cooperatively owning it right or, or or is it something more complicated than that is that right or what yeah so right I should say there's there's three types of them the 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 producer cooperative so you have your individual farmers and then they they sort of own their own farms but then they also collectively own this central institution that sort of just does coordinating functions for all the the folks the 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 farmer owners and um yeah a worker cooperative would be like an individual company in which the the workers own um you know the company itself and there's a fair number of those also in the united states they they, they tend to be pretty small it's like king arthur flower I think is a, is a worker co-op, you know, legally speaking, I think new Belgium brewing is a worker owned and, you know, that's interest, you know, that's gives you a sort of different flavor on things, but that's like, you know, profits go right, go back to the, um, you know, workers on a, uh, like a basis of, you know, how many shares you might own in the company, I suppose. You, you know, you could set these up. There's lots of different sort of little variations. Um, but S Group right. is a consumer co-op. Um, people have probably seen these. There's a lot of little bitty grocery stores. There's one, you know, n- near in Philadelphia, near where we used to live in uh, West Philly. Yeah, West Philly. Yeah, called Mariposa, which is, um, that's where, you know, the people who shop at the store rather than the workers, but the shoppers, they, they buy a membership 
and and they, you know, legally speaking, own the institution. So REI is legally a, con- a consumer co-op as well. And, you know, that there's a lot of variations on those two. You know, it, it kind of depends on implementation in some ways. Um, I, I uh, looked into REI a bit for the article and, and um, I don't think it's correct to say that it's the co-op structure is totally fraudulent, but it is, it is, uh, <laughs> it is yeah, sort right. of fake uh, in the sense that, you know, part, part of the, the way that a, that a consumer co-op especially is supposed to be set up is that, you know, the, the, you know, the, I mean, the ownership has to be a meaningful, that has to be meaningful in terms of control. You know, you, you, you know, you don't just have like a piece of paper, like you could vote to replace Nominal, the yeah. management and the way REI is set up, the current members of the board get to select the nominees for the board elections and turnout is like one or less than 1% usually be- because why would you vote? You have no choice. You know, they select the candidates for you. Um, and so, you know, it's basically, you know, in terms of like brass tax, it's really more of a sort of like, you know, regular supermarket benefits program where you get a discount, you know, or store credit for. So so, that, so that's key because a lot of people might think of a cooperative that's a consumer cooperative, mostly in terms of like the, the, the cost savings to you, like the kickback you get, the kind of dividend um, or, or share in the profits that you get that reduces your spending there. Um, but what you're kind of suggesting is there's something that's even more meaningful, um, and that's actual control of the governance, uh, which depends on how it's set up. And REI is a good example because in absolute terms, that's also a comparable size um, in terms of revenue and, and employees and such to S Group, right? It's actually quite a bit smaller than S Group. It's it's only oh interesting. Uh, it's it's I mean you know same order of magnitude ish. Their their sales were about like. $3.7 billion last year. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's like yeah. 10 billion less Yeah, in sales. Right. Yeah. And so the, yeah, the Euro and the dollar are almost one to one at the moment. Um, but yeah, so, so I think that you see the difference in the, the, the governance structure. I guess I, I forgot about that because of how much more the CEO gets paid at REI. So I, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. The, <laughs> it's a different, you know, the, the, S group doesn't have like an overall CEO because it's like the, an organization of these different 19 different regional cooperatives. And so like the, each one elects like a, a governing council It's quite a complicated structure. Um, and then those, those councils can, they, they had like, like a supervisory board and then a CEO of the cooperative. And then those cooperatives, they nominate like a representative to, um, be on the board of SOK, which is a Finnish word. It's just like a sort of the sort of central organizing institution of all the regional cooperatives. Um, and that's like the, the CEO of SOK, like the, 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 the centralized like service provider and coordinating body for S group as a whole. That's sort of like the closest thing you get to a CEO, but it's not a real CEO of all of S group because like it just doesn't work like that. Um, and this guy last year made, uh, let me look it up here. Um, yeah, 1.1 million euros. Uh, whereas the, the, the CEO of REI got, um, in 2021, 
uh, which is the last year that I could find numbers, $4.6 million. So like more than uh, four times as much money in a business that's like one quarter the size of uh Right. You know? <laughs> and this, you you would have to assume, yeah. I mean, it's partly American context, lower taxes and stuff like that. It's because the board, you know, it's sort of like a nonprofit hospital, you could say, where it's like, we don't have any formal profits in an accounting sense, but all of our executives have a similar level of control and they get tons and tons and tons of money um, ba- just because yeah. they can, they control the way that the organization runs and the the members, your ordinary members, you know, I'm a member of REI. Never once have I received any sort of information about how you vote. You know, I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. when the elections are, how frequent they are. And it turns out they're totally meaningless. Why bother? It doesn't make any, there's no choice. So. Whereas with, with the S group, it represents, first of all, the number of um, Finns who are members of S Group as customers or consumers, uh, you write, represents 78% of households in Finland. So that's like a huge amount of Finland is uh, our members. And 25% of them tend to vote, yeah. right, in these uh, S Group. Is that right? In the regional elections, they said that the that the uh, turnout for, you know, for these cooperative elections is about 25%. Which is that's I mean that's staggering. Uh, for there are a lot of off-year elections for to be like mayor of big cities and shit that that don't even come close to twenty-five percent turnout. Um, yeah, and you know it 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 reflects the the fact you know people. I I wouldn't say there's not like a competitive elections, you know, with like different ideological parties that are sort of like like everyone basically agrees what the point of the organization is. But, you know, you have these elections with the purpose of sort of like, you know, people generally getting involved in the management of the organization. And it, it tends to be also, you know, that there's a lot of recruiting internally it's like a whole big culture of people um i talked to the deputy ceo of of sok and he told me he started his career there in 1994 i think um he's just made it his entire life's life's work and uh you know it's just a place where you can uh you know you can rise through the ranks um and you know a lot of these sok um you know, executives, they, they have like specialized training, you know, and whatnot. They, they come out of business schools and stuff like that because it's quite a difficult operation to manage. I think, you know, it's a lot of complicated logistics, but sure. Um, yeah, you, you know, it's like, a, a, there's an element of genuine democracy. And I would say that's what really separates like a real co-op versus some kind of fake, you know, sort of branding exercise. Yeah. No, I, and I'd like to get into um, how – because on the face of it, you think about it and it's like, okay, it's different from um, American companies that give you kind of uh, frequent flyer miles or various discounts. Okay, there's meaningful democratic uh, governance involved. Um, but I think the differences don't end there. And, and, you know, at some point we should play this clip uh, uh, that's going around the social media lately of this CEO of a property uh, development company, right? Who is kind of like worse than Mr. Burns and the Simpsons, right? And it's just, uh, really clarifies the kind of nature of the class war. Um, because I, I'm curious about how that kind of mentality and that kind of 
typifying um, ideological expression of capital's view of uh, the function of business and the function of um, capitalism vis-a-vis owners and managers versus the workers, how that differs in social democratic countries like Finland um, and the situation that we've got here. Because, you know, you, you write about some interesting dynamics relating to the workers, the owners, the customers, um, the country, civic civic pride and civic nationalism, maybe. Um, so we can get into all that. But like, uh, is this where we should play the clip or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, yeah, what we could. Pro- property developer and CEO Tim Gurner will put that in. I think the problem that we've had is that we've, you know, we, we have people decided that they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID, and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they, they have been paid, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years, and we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40 50%, in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, there is a, there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them, um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude, and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global, you know, the, the world is trying to do. The governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off and we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market. And that has to continue because that will cascade across the cost balance. Um, and uh, yeah, he, I mean, you know, like th- this is an expression of, you know, political domination. This is like a, the authoritarian nature of capitalism. Um, just, just laid out straight up. He's he's saying, yeah, we need to Ask off. we need to remind people <laughs> that they work for the employer, not the other way around. And you know, the 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 natural question is why. <laughs> What gives you the right? Yeah. Why should you? Hey, asshole, what, what, what are you providing anyone? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it reminded me, I think we probably mentioned this before on the podcast, but there's a famous essay by Mikhail Kolechki um, about why capitalists don't like full employment. And he says, uh, quote, um, we have considered the political reasons for the opposition to the policy of creating unemployment, creating employment by government spending. But even if this opposition were overcome, the maintenance of full employment would cause social and political changes, which would give a new impetus to the opposition of the business leaders. Indeed, under a regime of permanent full employment, the SAC would cease to play its role as a disciplinary measure. The social position of the boss would be undermined, and the self-assurance and class consciousness of the working class would grow. Strikes for wage increases and improvements in conditions of work would create political tension. It is true that profits would be higher under a regime of full employment than they are on average under laissez-faire, and even the rise in wage rates resulting from the stronger bargaining power of the workers is less likely to reduce profits than to increase prices, and thus adversely affects only the rentier interests. But discipline in the factories and political stability are more appreciated than profits by business leaders. Their class instinct tells them that lasting full employment is unsound from their point of view and that unemployment is an integral part of the normal capitalist system. <laughs> That's just 
Boom. Central casting. There that guy is. wrote that in 1943. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Still true. And you, you see that from this guy's quote. Um, but besides that, the, the glaring uh, cruelty of, hey, we need to discipline the workforce by turning up unemployment 40 percent, 50 percent. And his admission that there's a kind of uh, tacit conspiracy that this is already happening. And I don't know if he has in mind uh, the Fed, but, but he definitely has in mind all the massive layoffs that are happening. And he's kind of suggesting that these layoffs are not necessary or even necessarily related to uh, profit motive thinking. But instead, uh oh, we see workers getting a little arrogant about how important they are, getting a little power, uh, going on strike, asking for more. We need, you know, and so the words like arrogance that he throws around and the words like they think that they they are more deserving or they should be in charge. Um, that is the key to his whole, you know, point that it's, you know, uh, not about uh, what's the best strategy. Because when you did your S group uh, interview, there is a lot of discussion about like grow economic growth, sustainability, market share, all these typical capitalist economic terms. Uh, right. Which is mm-hmm. interesting because here, this is not what this guy's talking about. He's not talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, what, what do you think? It's an interesting contrast. No, I, I, I think, you know, again, I don't want to get into it too closely, but I, I think that yeah, yeah. Finnish society is just profoundly um, different than American, American society when it comes to this type of thinking on the, on the part of the, the sort of business class writ large. And, uh, you know, S Group's an example of that in so far as like you have a big operation that's 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 like, you know, taking in tons of money, but mo- pretty much most of the profits go back out to the to the member owners. You know, you don't have a billionaire, you know, single, you know, the 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 net worth of all the Walmart um you know, the, the majority ownership, which is all the Walton family members, there's like seven of them that are still alive. It's like $250 billion. And that's when you organize like a private company like this, where you have like the ownership, the legal ownership stakes that are, you know, concentrated in a small handful of people, like the money just flows directly to them and they get, you know, tremendous political leverage from their wealth. Um, and it, and it instills in them a sense of yeah i mean a class instinct and i the idea that uh i deserve to rule and that i need to um you know dominate like my workforce to maintain my position at the top of the heap and you know the the that's the thing i, I would <laughs> would you say that it's fundamentally that the wealth is for the power and not vice versa it's not that the power is there to get you the wealth. It's that the wealth pr- production system is there to uh, instantiate the, the the kind of hierarchy of, of rule of, of who has the power to determine who does what. Yeah. And who, who gets to say who does what. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, certainly very wealthy people do enjoy like a luxurious lifestyle. But when you're talking about someone who's got like, 
a, even one billion dollars. Like that is more. What's the difference in terms of wealth? They, they don't even notice the right one, two billion, three billion, four billion. Like you know. <laughs> yeah, at that point, you're just keeping score. I mean, that's more or less more money than anybody could ever spend, unless you're you're just like buying social media companies and running them into the ground, like Elon Musk. You know, he potentially, I could see him wasting two hundred billion dollars. Um, but yeah, I think at the at their their key priority. You know, as John Gantz says, it's uh, to borrow a term from um, South African apartheid, baskop, which which is an Afrikaans word. It just means bosses on top, like literally. Um, That's right. And yeah, uh, yeah, this guy, you know, I mean, the the fact that maybe this guy sort of tacitly understands, uh, even if he may deny it to himself, that in fact, the workers are like they do the work. They make the business function on a day to day basis. Maybe, you know, the CEO makes some important decisions here and there, but does he deserve three? Is, is he, uh, worth 300 times as much as a normal employee and all, all of them put together? No, of course he is. I mean, it's a question. It's a, it's a question uh, whether he, she, or they are worth anything, let alone multiple, multipliers of the average worker. It's, it's, uh, unclear that they're worth what the average worker is worth, to be honest. Um, Yeah. You can, you can certainly point to instances in which like entrepreneurs have like set up companies, you know, like, like they've, they've taken decisions to like, like get the business rolling. Um, but, sure. uh, you know, when, when it comes to a really large enterprise, like at a certain point, you know, it's, it's about like the whole structure of the thing and the, and the millions of, of, of working hours that are put into the business from, from all the employees. And in the case of like a, a lot of very wealthy shareholders, like the Walton family, they don't do anything. They, they hire a, a CEO to run the company on their behalf. You know, these, these people aren't involved in like picking what's, what, uh, brands of peanut butter go on the shelves at every Walmart in the world. <laughs> like they're yeah. just sitting at the top yeah. doing nothing and, and collecting, you know, uh, absolutely obscene quantities of, of resources and potential resources. And, and that gives them, you know, political command over society as a whole. I mean, that the whole, the whole meme from Arrested Development about uh, how much could a banana cost, Michael? $10. <laughs> the, the whole, the whole, <laughs> the whole point of that meme kind of relates well to like ownership of a grocery store, right? Because um, by definition, this separation in capitalism, um, where those who own don't necessarily have to know anything about the business and how it's run. Uh, right. It is, is what's new. Like it used to be that like the people, uh, who, uh, owned their own fruits of their labor, right? Of course that they were the ones that produced and, and knew best about the industry in which they're involved. Um, but then when you get the separation, anyone can be an owner. You don't have to qualify for that with your knowledge of, of what's going on. Right. Um, and so that, that whole point about the clueless kind of capitalist class is that they're not really involved in the production and, and the management. Um, and to the extent that like some well-paid management executives know the industry, right? Um, they're in this weird in between where they're kind of like workers who are uh, paid so well that they align with the capitalist class, right? Um, but to go back to Finland for a minute, right? This mentality wouldn't make sense uh, so much in Finland, especially with regard to S Group, because the way that they've set up the co-op is that uh, capital accumulation is not the goal, 
right? It can't be. And also, I think you point out the Finnish tax system doesn't incentivize making such a disparate amount of money because it's just going to be taxed anyway. So there are different kind of goals and forms of prestige that you can have. Um, but, you know, it's not the same as the U.S., right, where you, you can be, uh, you know, one of the richest people in the world. And that could be your kind of form of social prestige and power. So if you don't so if that's not available, you have to have other things that you're going for. That could be collective goals that could have to do with civic pride, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this was, you know, one of the big objectives of the the cooperative movement back in the when it started in the, uh, you know, very late 19th century, early 20th century. Um, you know, the the uh, back then, people may remember uh, Finland was a colony of the Russian Empire and under. Uh, Nicholas II, starting in 1898, there was a policy of Russification. Um, basically, they're trying to do sort of quiet cultural genocide on Finland, you know, force everyone to speak Russian, increase, you know, Russian domination. He was really all-time prick for the ages, Nicholas II. Just complete <laughs> shithead and, and also terribly incompetent. Um but it's a, it's a, it's a good reminder though that that civic pride can be a response to imperialist uh, aggressors, right? Yeah, and the point was that you know so we're going to set up economic institutions that are under the control of like the broad mass of the Finnish population. Uh, that at the same time, you know, because industrialization is starting to happen, you know, around this time, it was Finland was late industrializing, by the way, it didn't, it, didn't, it was pretty far behind the other Nordics um, up until, you know, like the 1970s or so. Um, but yeah, so you have like incipient industrialization and people looking at like, you know, handfuls of capitalists becoming super wealthy while everyone else is stuck in poverty. And they're like, well, that's not great. And so one logical response, um, Led by this fella named uh, uh, Gephardt and his his wife, um, they you know it's like let's create a sort of capitalist style business, but it sh- it can be collectively owned by by you know everybody who shops at the at the business, um, you know, or do the worker co ops or the producer co ops or whatever. But you know the point being that this will be under our control as Finns. It will be for us. And and also it won't, you know, blow up the huge fortunes on behalf of a tiny minority of people like the like the profits, the 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 revenues, the economic activity and all that stuff will remain within like the sort of the broad mass of the of the Finnish population. And, you know, more or less, it was successful. I mean, in fact, it was this is part, you know, again, part of the article go into it in more detail. But like, um you know, back in the 1990s, they had only like 15% of the grocery market. And then they, you know, got their shit together. And now it's almost half, like they beat the capitalists at their own game. You can have a business run by, you know, a guy who's making like a a lot of money. He's making in the millions of euros a year. Like, like that's a good, good, good salary. Um, You know, people maybe even argue it's too much, but it's a lot less than like Elon Musk and you don't get any stock or anything like that. And that's where the real wealth comes from. When you have um, these ownership claims over these vast institutions, those don't exist. You can't buy uh, stock in S group. And in fact, it's legally forbidden. You can't take outside investment from, from capitalists. It's against the law. And it, it works perfectly well. 
You don't need this incredibly authoritarian structure necessarily to have a, a successful economic enterprise that works well, in the market. And, and not only that, the reason it succeeds so well is not by screwing over the workers necessarily like it, like you do at Amazon, but by cutting the cost of the products. Because if you are owning it collectively as the consumers, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, Hey, I think the things we buy should cost less, right? And so like that, that is going to get you to shop at that place because the prices are, are really good. Um, and if you don't need to accumulate capital that doesn't go, that doesn't redound back to, um, you know, the workers or the consumers, but is captured by the owners, then that's a lot of money to play with to reduce prices, right? Yeah. Well, and you could, you know, theorize, you know, a cooperative in which like the workers, you know, one way you compete on price is just by cutting wages down to the absolute lowest possible level. But that's where the unions come in. Um, and I think that's, that's a, right. a, yeah. a, a broader, you know, the, the broader finished context um, with the, the labor movement and mass unionization just like changes the whole structure of society. Um, it's unions and the welfare state together. Right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, so most of the S group workers are unionized and, um, you know, that basically that it has become a sort of social consensus that there's a, like a, a minimum, you know, that, that you have to pay, um, on the order of like the, the base bottom pay is something like 12 euros 50 an hour. Um, that that's the, the minimum you can make. And if you stay on for years, you can get raises. If you work at night, you make like 50% more. If you work in the weekend, you make like 50% more again. So lots of people like to work on Sundays because you get double pay. Um, not a, not a great salary, certainly. Um, no, no, it's low, yeah. but enough to live on, you know, in the context of Finland, which is, you know, prices are high, but welfare benefits are also very high. Uh, and, and so, and those minimum wage, those minimum wage workers are also getting health benefits, uh, not just from the state, but from S group as yeah. well, right? You have your baseline, you know, uh, guaranteed of all your basic care from the, from the government. And then S group has like a, a special sort of like, uh, additional health, uh, system that you can sort of, sort of like urgent care that's just for S group employees. Um, and so, yeah, their, you know, their, their big innovation was just to like set up a cutting edge logistics and, and management system that, uh, you know, I mean, running, you, know, you just have to imagine running a grocery store the size of one of these Prisma operations with like, I don't know, like 20,000 different products in there. Like that is a big pain in the neck, uh, in, in terms of, you know, managing your inventory and make, keep making sure the uh, shelves are stocked and all that sort of thing. Um, and they, you know, they just managed to do it really well. It's it's a very efficient enterprise. And they're really proud, you know, of how efficient it was, yeah. even though, yeah. you know, a lot of these guys that were centrally involved with uh, uh, setting it up like that, they, they didn't really see much of the benefits at all. It yeah. was just uh, on behalf of the, like, basically everyone in the country, uh, just about 78%. And not only that, but the ethos seems to be real in part because it's um, owned by the consumers and there's this kind of civic nationalism um, attached to it, right? Because the suppliers for like the farmers uh, tend to be Finnish farmers and there seems to be this kind of ethos that um, – although, you, you know, you, you point out that uh, – 
you know, S group can be a hard negotiator. Maybe sometimes there's a kind of limit to that because you, you can't screw over the, the Finnish industries that are supplying you and that are connected to the overall economy. There, there's this kind of interdependence going on. Um, unlike I think in the States where, you know, every company or every industry is out for itself a little bit. There's, a, there's a kind of web that's woven. It seems like where that, that limits the, the kind of, um, the, the greed and the, and the kind of, uh, you know, taking advantage of profit motive incentives and such. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this, this is what happened in the 1980s through the early 2000s when, you know, we had all these free trade agreements and the capitalists would immediately box up their entire factories and ship them to Mexico or Vietnam or China or anywhere where labor could be exploited more ruthlessly. Basically, they didn't give a shit about the American people. It was all about money. Um, and you know, the idea that like it could, could create like political problems down the road if we just like write off giant chunks of the Rust Belt, like, oh, I wonder if that's going to create a populist demagogue or help create one in 20 years. Nah, fuck it. <laughs> Money now. Yeah. Um, Not part of the calculus. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, so, so S group being mainly. By the way, I should mention, it's not just uh, grocery stores. They also have a department store. They have uh, uh, hotels and restaurants. I, I ate at a couple of the restaurants there. They're fine. They're not, they're not that good, but it's like a... <laughs> service, serviceable. Yeah, it's like a, like a sort of B-plus chain restaurant, uh, you know, the, the just... You're, you're not dining in Provence? Okay. Right, yeah. Fair enough. It's not that kind of a place. It's not like super luxurious. But I bet it's high quality. I bet it's it's locally sourced and it's organic and high quality. Yeah. Well, see, as group, even if it's not, um, they get about eighty percent of their food from from Finland, and you know that's important because the broad Finnish society has like a broad ethic going back, you know, like probably well over a century now that it's important to have domestic food supplies. There was a terrible famine in the 1860s, the last famine in Northern Europe, um, killed like 8% of the population. And, uh, so, you know, people like to, like to buy food that's from the country. And then at the same time, the government also, re uh, regards, um, you know, domestic food supplies, like a national security priority that, that they're looking at Russia. They just joined NATO for obvious reasons. And they're looking at Russia blowing up the Ukrainian like grain export terminals and at, and even their like stockpiles of, of harvests from the, the last over the last year. And they're like, well, we need, you know, we need to have uh, domestic control. And then also, you know, as I, as I was sort of mentioning before, the, the dairy farmers are, are in a giant co-op, like 85% of the dairy market, um, meat growers and eggs, uh, that's, those are two other co-ops, the, the, the eggs, in fact, there's a requirement, uh, you can't import eggs to Finland because they don't have any salmonella and they don't want to have any salmonella. So you couldn't, you know, you, right. you can't exterminate yeah. your, your egg farmers, you know, and get them from like Mexico or whatever, because, uh, that would be illegal. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're sort of hemmed in and, um, they don't want to be seen as the, the company that like, you know, drove everyone out of business to, to, to cut prices by a nickel, um, and yeah, I think it's just part and parcel of the whole ethic of Finnish, the sort of social solidarity, you know, that like we're, this is a cooperative, a uh, political enterprise as well. That like we're, we're sort of all in this together, at least to some degree. And we should, do, where possible, like work together to make a 
a good society that that benefits uh, everybody at the same time. And uh, right. yeah, you don't you don't need people like what's his name the 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 jackass uh, from before Tim Gurner. Um, those types of people <laughs> yeah. you can do without them. Um, it is not necessary to live like that. You can you can have a wealthy, productive economy without yeah. the the wealthy capitalists lording it over everyone else. Right, and it reminds me now. Of course, I still, if I was Finnish and in Finland, I would still want to radicalize as much as possible and try to move <laughs> politics left and like all that. So, and so this is not the utopia, whatever. No. But it just highlights the differences, as we've talked about with uh, you know David Dan and and. Um, you know, each other before, even within capitalism, how markets are structured really matters. And and like yes. within, right, it just, it, there are so many vast differences in terms of power. And, um, and it's important to explore those because on the way to uh, whatever future we hope we can transform to, uh, there, there are paths that we need to understand that are already existing that we can go down. And, and Finland offers some of them, right? Um, and it's kind of like we, we were talking about at some point, um, hanging out lately in Greece, the difference between like the loyal opposition politically, where you have two different parties and there are important differences. Um, but it's not the same thing as like Trump and the fascists who are literally trying to destroy the, the fabric of democracy and democratic institutions and, uh, should be seen as enemies, you know, or or someone who is like a self-described uh, Nazi, right? Who doesn't believe in the very foundations of uh, of this country, right? And the the ideals of democracy and freedom and equality, and therefore doesn't need to be treated, uh, you know, on equal terms in terms of debating ideas and so forth. I think it's similar to like that clown, uh, you know, who is talking about obviously using his power and capitalists using their power to oppress and discipline workers and cause suffering. That's an enemy. That's a class enemy. Um, and I think that's a little bit different than a situation where you have like functionally the S group kind of operates like a nonprofit, uh, where, you know, there is not a capital accumulation situation and there is disparity in wealth and there is a power differential. Yeah. Uh, and there are negotiations and there, right. There is a kind of class battle going on. Um, but I think it's, it's fundamentally different in how it functions within the polity, within a social democratic state. Like, like there is something healthy that you can work within going on in a country like Finland because of how things are set up and structured in that way. That is like so different than the states or places where you know, I mean, the guillotine seems more reasonable as a response, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just, I don't know. It's all capitalism, but it seems like that is unfair to the differences to just label them the same, right? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, I would say, you know, on the, on the political point, uh, it is, I think you see the, the, the value of having these sorts of like institutions around very, very strong welfare state, cooperative societies and so on. Um, you know, it, it disciplines the conservatives because like the right, the conservative coalition won the last election by, by, by a hair. The true Finns, right? Um, true Finns. Yeah. They were the second biggest party. The biggest one was like the center right party. Um, 
I got to admit, True Finns, it sounds racist, Ryan. That sounds like a racist name. They are pretty racist, <laughs> which was, you know, actually, it was like uh, going through like old writings of some of these these uh, True Finns ministers, and they're like pretty racist. And that actually caused a scandal, you know, as opposed to the person just like getting more famous and wealthy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, you don't want to downplay like the 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 fact that like there is there are the conservative yeah. elements in Finnish society there are conservative elements in every society I don't think you could ever get rid of that permanently trying to do so would be worse you know we saw that happen in the Soviet Union which in fact itself became quite conservative in many ways uh um but what it you know it 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 makes it so that the sort of bounds of politics are 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 closer you know to the to the um middle of the 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 50 yard line so to speak and you know it's a right-wing coalition i would say that's that's probably a fair conclusion but i think that uh it there's no sense whatsoever that they're going to try to overthrow the government you know um they're going to try to or are they're also not going to try to fundamentally undermine like what is made Finland's number one in education, number like so, so successful in, in ways that are fundamentally tied to like social democracy. Like they might try to pick at the edges of it, right? But like, I don't know. You tell you tell me that, that they are hemmed in a little bit at at what they can try to do um, to undermine what are fundamentally kind of socialistic um, ways of life. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they I mean, I think they won because of inflation and because of the Russian war. And that's caused, you know, that's a lot of sort of, you know, uh, people are fearful and vote for right wing parties when that when that happens. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's like they're, you know, what do conservative parties do in basically every circumstance? They make things worse. Like that's pretty much the the sum total. <laughs> it's a hierarchy uh, ideology of hierarchy. You try to make society more hierarchical, take from the poor and give to the rich. But there's so much to take, yes. you know, that, that, and, yes. and all those yes. things are so yeah. widely beneficial that it's very unpopular to take them away. There's, uh, you know, what they, they do want to, um, do is they want to roll back, uh, labor rights in Finland. They want to, um, apparently get rid of the right to sympathy strikes, you know, like Taft Hartley did in the U.S. in 1947. And by all accounts, that could be a big battle. Um, there could be a lot of strikes right. this this fall when the parliament yeah. comes back from recess. Um, well, and this is a point I want to make about the the vicious and virtuous circles, right? Because uh, when when that asshole CEO was talking, right, it reminds me that like labor power and social progress isn't at its height when things are terrible. Because the, this guy understands the worse that unemployment is, the more reactionary politics can be. And, and the easier it is for people like him to stay in power and grow in wealth. Uh, whereas like in Finland, for example, or in places where you've made a lot of progress, as you say, people see how good they have it and they are more protective of what the state has ensured for them and, and the laws that prohibit the kind of, um, you know, terrible expropriation by the capitalists. And so, so it's, it's, it's not that like, you know, great reforms or revolution come from, uh, people that are desperate. 
When people are desperate, it's even easier to take advantage of them. And that's the vicious circle, right? And that's why the States is so terrible because it's so easy to pit people against each other and take advantage of people being desperate and they don't have the energy or will or wealth or time to fight. Um, but the more that you've developed like these kind of social democratic reforms, the more that you've uh, continued a tradition of bolstering public goods, uh, the harder it is for for the elites to to fight against the public good, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And on the um, question of this, uh, you know, sort of boring, um, you know, like like managing markets and 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 you know maybe shooting for like revolutionary reforms while sort of doing as best you can in the moment. You know, I think one thing that's non-reformist reforms, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I think one thing that's quite important about about S Group is is how important like technical competence is to to uh, achieving basically anything good. Um, you know the 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 Soviet Union the the Soviet economy in the 1920s. It was sort of like I forget who made this uh, comparison at first, but it was like a bunch of radicals like took over a plane, shot the pilot, and they were like, "Okay, we'll figure out how to fly it on the way down to the ground." And the result was a massive fucking famine, and be, in part because a, hardly anybody in the Soviet bureaucracy uh, knew what the fuck they were talking about when it came to detailed, boring ass technical subjects like agriculture, you know, metallurgy, all these sorts of things, you know, engineering. They they did eventually develop a, a pretty competent, um, you know, technocracy in some ways though there were there was also lots of it controlled by absolute cranks like uh lysenko if if folks remember that guy he didn't believe in uh, genetics um and and sort of ran soviet agriculture for like like 15 years uh but yeah you know it's like you you can have all the utopian projects you want but like it's it's any sort of complicated apparatus like that it's it's gonna the 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 management of it is is going to be absolutely central to achieving it you know, you can have all the great ideas, but if you can't, you know, fucking get your spreadsheets out and figure out how to get your shipment of grain from this place to that place in time before it goes bad or, you know, any of the tens of thousands of other little tasks that you that would be required in any sort of even a modest size, you know, sort of economic enterprise, uh, you, you you failed, you know. You, and which is valorizing a different kind of thing than what we valorize when we valorize like the the Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos of the world, right? Who you know maybe they know some technical things here and there, but mostly are who they are because of uh, luck, circumstance, and influence, and their self-aggrandizing has nothing to do with competence and everything to do with ego, right? Um, as we've seen with with uh, Musk and Twitter, very obviously, yeah, public relations. I mean, the the uh, I mentioned this in a previous episode when when you were gone, in fact. But there's a great book called Ludicrous by Edward Niedermeyer. It's all about the rise of Tesla, and he basically makes the argument that with respect to Tesla, at least maybe SpaceX is a different story, but with respect to Tesla, Elon Musk is and always has been basically a fraud and a con man, selling the idea of this like. You know, this greatest, most technically advanced cars ever. We're we're gonna get to Mars. We're gonna fix climate change. We're gonna make all these crazy utopian dreams. And um, his execution is terrible. 
You know, the people like S Group managers be horrified at the quality control in in Tesla <laughs> automobiles. Their yeah. panel gaps are shit. Their their reliability is shit. Um, their service uh, availability, their service centers, there are not nearly enough of them all over the country. He's selling people this this lie, this this dream that this is the best possible car you could own. And it was just the fact that electric drivetrains are much simpler than uh, gas-powered ones that uh, led him to make a sort of minimum viable product, a thing that, that for most people works most of the time. But it's a low-quality thing. He can't execute because he doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to, to advanced manufacturing. He you know, hires a bunch of people who do, and that's sort of like allowed Tesla to sort of like uh, blunder into into profitability, so to speak. But, you know, it's 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 selling a a phantom. And I don't think it would have possibly worked without the sort of capitalist uh, mythology and and the fact that doing this like basically con job on the population allowed him to become fabulously rich and therefore famous and, and powerful. Um, you would have right. had to do it properly uh, if if you had you know started this in a in a you know a, co- a cooperative fashion or a socialist fashion in contrast let's look at s group again briefly you have uh relative to the uh gdp right a, a business that's like four times as big as walmart again relative to uh the gdp of finland versus walmart in the u.s and you have um Nobody probably, I don't know if anyone knows who the, the head of SOK is or, or if like there's no fame involved. Kind of crook. But what you do have it. Yeah. 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 You don't have a crook in his, charge. His name is um, actually crook. Yeah. That's his name. His name is crook. You should be running Tesla. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Um, but you have, you know, um, a widely successful business that I think even doesn't want to like grow a bigger market share than the 50% or whatever. It's like happy and content where it is. Uh, and I think it's not unrelated to not just the tax system, but also their public education um, makes Finns, according to, to most kind of studies, uh, the number one place in the world for education, right? Yeah. Like they, they top. Um, and that's probably related to like their democracy and their ability to uh, join in and, and vote at 25% levels for, uh, you know, S group management decisions. And um, you were there, maybe as we're winding down, we can have some more anecdotes from your trip here, right? Like you saw kids playing out and about like crazy, right? This is like one of the first things you told me. It's like, there's kids playing everywhere outside all the time. <laughs> yeah. Ki- apparently <laughs> this is like part, this is part of their education system is like kids go play. Yeah. There's, right? there's no, uh, there's no snow days apparently in Finland. So rainers, rainers, snow or sleet or whatever they're out there. Um, yeah. The, I think the, the cutest thing is these, these big packs of like kindergartners and they all wear the same thing, like this, uh, these these high visibility vests and like uh, galoshes and like rain pants. And they're all just like splashing around in the puddles and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's a, I mean, uh, Finnish children are much more visible on the street. You know, I think in part because of just a sort of higher trust society and the fact that like there's virtually no That's pedestrian right. deaths yeah. in Helsinki ever. Um, right. And uh 
Because that's the other thing you notice is everyone drives slower. Yeah, everyone drives real slow. A lot of cyclists, you know, it's all these cobblestone streets or brick or, or rough stone streets. So you have to drive slow. And uh, yeah, you could just, I mean, you you could just about walk right into any crosswalk without even looking and people would stop for you. Um, Did you notice this? When I, when I was in Stockholm, I noticed kids like, like literally just uh, not necessarily in packs, but like a seven-year-old child on his or her own wandering around Stockholm, presumably headed somewhere on purpose, but like in the, in the heart of the city without, you know, presumably a care in the world that there's any danger in doing that. Yep. Right? And that, and this, you know, c- coupled with public parks and, and this, this feeling that there is a public, a community, a, a broader place that is safe for everyone to move within, including little kids. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, definitely saw, you know, w- groups and ones and twos, you know, or three or four, uh, from, I would guess, yeah, around seven or eight up to, you know, teenagers, of course. Yeah. Just wandering around or, or sitting at a cafe, uh, you know, or going like carrying like sports equipment and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just like totally accepted that, uh, yeah, kid, you know, you got to be independent at some point. Of course, the kindergartners had like minders, you know, they, they'd have three or four adults sure, yeah. like hurting them around. Some of it's pretty funny. They'd have like these big wagons. They're like pushing them down the sidewalk with like six of them sitting like two and two and two and just pushing <laughs> like it's sort of tremendous kindergarten size <laughs> SUV for uh, hand pushed. What, what, what other public goods did you notice? Because we can compare notes. I was in Copenhagen and, and Stockholm and, and Berlin. Um, what, what did you like that you saw that was kind of refreshing in terms of um, the structure of Helsinki and some of the things on offer that were state run. Uh, got a great public transit system. They have a great, uh, state, you know, here's, here's your more classic socialist institution, state run railway that I, t- I took a train up to Vasa that they was always, that's apparently, <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, I just heard that over the intercom like 50 times as I was coming up to the station, but that was, uh, you know, four hours ish. So quite a bit faster than driving. Um, and, uh, super, I mean, probably not as good as like Spanish trains. There's just not that big of a population, but it was super efficient and clean. And like everything was scheduled down to like the second, almost it's like, okay, we're leaving at, you know, five ten, and leaving at five ten. Um, and was it pretty reasonable? The cost? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. It was like 30 euros. But it's a long distance. Like a four hour for a four hour trip. Yeah, I would probably less than each way or or, or each round trip? way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would guess like less than half the cost for a similar Amtrak trip. I mean, maybe you know it can be cheaper. And, yeah, absolutely. And, but I was also buying it at the very last minute too, so that could have had something to do with it. Sure. Yeah. I also saw a picture uh, on a beach, which I presume was by a lake. Uh, there was a public workout like situation on the beach, like like. You could just, anyone could go and, and lift weights and like, and work out. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. Yeah. It's like a sort of gold, gold beach type situation that, um, apparently these exist in the U.S., you know, it's like, but, but it was a, like a full on, you know, sort of weatherproofed, uh, like weightlifting machine. So it's, so they had, a um, you know, like a bench press, but there's like a lever on it with a movable weight that you could slide back and forth to adjust the resistance. Um, all very, nice. very like new and well-maintained. 
Um, and yeah, people are out there using it for free. No, no, nothing. That's, oh, that's the thing. The, the well-maintained is key, right? Yeah. Because like in the States, in the States, you have sometimes state provided things, but they're not well-maintained and they go to shit. And then that reminds people of this kind of really fake distinction that like, oh, government or state run things are shitty. And that means they're for poor people who can't afford the nice things that private corporations offer. Right. right? Um, and whereas like that doesn't have to be the way it has to be at all. Um, I, I saw in Copenhagen this great kind of sign um, right by the stairs, which was, you know, walking around the city. It said, um, you know, like toilets and it said a three and, and it had um, the hours that, that there are like there are attendants, like the state provides people to attend and maintain them. So it's both like clean and supervised. So it's safe and, and tidy and free for anyone who's wandering around and needs to pee. I thought that was amazing. Those, those are like the little things. It's like, oh yeah, you don't have to pay for everything. You don't have to privatize everything. It, it's nice to just have like anyone and everyone can use things and have their basic needs taken care of. How, how wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> right. I didn't see so many of those. I guess I wasn't really looking for them. But yeah, I do. I do remember in the pharaohs, there are public toilets everywhere. It was, I don't, there was like a, I don't know if they had a plague of people pissing in the street like decades ago or what. <laughs> yeah. All over the place. Yeah. In Berlin, you, you tend to have these like enclosed ones where uh, you use a card or coins or something, and it's like a euro or 50 cents or something like that. Or in a mall, you pay 50 cents, that kind of thing. I do uh, um, remember in Frankfurt that I visited one time that they just have like a urinal, like just straight up on the I've side. I've seen those too. <laughs> like, yes, that's right. Even, yeah, that's free. That's definitely free. Not enclosed <laughs> at all, just like a, Se- a stainless steel. <laughs> Semi-enclosed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that's maybe better. It did smell like piss, but it, you know, maybe better than nothing. Um, at least the rest of the street did not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some guy comes by every couple of days, with like a bucket of water and just sort of, sl- I don't know, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, the, I think the public good I appreciated the most just was like the sort of vibe of this being yeah, like yeah. a great place to the live. Ethos. It's, it, you yeah. walk around or bike around um, and it just safe and yeah feels very safe and friendly and uh as like a society you know not the American yeah. like every man for himself look out for each the other devil take the hindmost yeah. it's it it was like constantly you know making eye contact with drivers and people letting you in or when you're driving people letting you in and actually following the goddamn speed limit for once. uh, Uh you just feel it's just like a very nice very polite tidy and it feels like you know everyone's looking out for each other and uh yeah you you appreciate that you appreciate that um it's nice to know that under capitalism that that can be the uh overriding ethos of an entire place yeah Um, and i would say so you know to the extent that you have the whole society you know like big chunks of the economy dominated by like just explicitly non-capitalist enterprises in terms of their ownership structure, at least, you know, this is not how Marx would say capitalism works. Uh, You know, they have made significant strides in getting past capitalism. They really have, you know, and you can see it fucking works. It's right there. And it's not, 
it's not like the caricature. I mean, you were just describing it's like Costco where you have like thousands of different products and different. You know, so, you know, the, the supposed thing that, that capitalism only does, which is to give you 27 different kinds of Coca-Cola, which I don't think we need. <laughs> but that <laughs> you still have a lot of that kind of thing coupled with the stability um, and all the benefits of, uh, you know, not risking people's lives, you know, and not, not making people, uh, have to be so cutthroat. And that's, that's a nice thing to, to see. So I'm glad that your trip paid off and, and was any well, last question, anything that really surprised you that you didn't expect when you, when you went there or that was, um, unanticipated, I should say. Hmm. Um, I, I, well, it, it did. One thing I did see more was a lot of, uh, hot people playing volleyball on the beach. Uh, <laughs> I did not expect Excellent. volleyball to be a big, Excellent. but I went to that, that gym and uh, like two or three times, um, walking through and actually uh, using it a, a couple of times. And, and every time there were people playing volleyball out there in the sand, I was like, <laughs> damn, I have Finland. So it's a more, Nothing wrong with that. more summary than you might suppose. Way to go, Finland. Yes, yes. I think that's, uh, you know, up in those northern European countries, they don't see a lot of sun the rest of the year. So when it comes to summer, they, they go full yeah. out and we can, we can, we can learn from them and that, uh, we should, we should be taking advantage of the sun whenever we can. And, uh, being hot and playing volleyball sounds good too. Yeah. Seize the day. It's that simple. That's it. All right. Well, maybe we'll talk more about our travels in Northern Europe in another episode, but this was good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon, sooner than before with some more something. Um, but uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.